Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness podcast. I'm your host Ant and today I'm delighted to be joined uh, by a returning guest, um, the author Michael Ronin. Hello Michael, thank you so much for taking um, time out of your day today to join us. Uh, for another discussion um yeah should should be should be great thank you so much yeah thanks and it's really it's a pleasure to be back on the podcast again i've been following uh your your journey as well while it, oh since thank we you last, we last spoke uh, i think it was back in april or may sometime yeah it was that's right yeah yeah, yeah so how things been for you because obviously uh this, the the world uh, events with regards to covid are are, are accelerating so the last six months how have you found things in terms of um promoting promoting your, your new book uh pretty good pretty good yeah. I, um it's it's been an interesting journey i mean having written a book um which speaks to our current predicament for for men in particular yeah. so for the for the listeners i guess that don't know yeah. who i am <laughs> yeah. I, I should of so I'm the, I'm the author of the book uh, Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man, yeah. um, the subtitle of which is Making Sense in Troubled Times. So um, it's both a book about um, how m modern men can know themselves yeah. uh, and become, you know, that's the conscious aspect of it, how they can know women in their lives and also how they can know the world around them. Sure. Um, so I, I wanted to write about the way the world works and the way a conscious man interacts with the world and also with himself as well. Mm. Um, the point being that it's not a pretty picture and no. we, see, we seem to have reached a tipping point <laughs> in, uh, in our collective experience as, a, as the human species, mm. um, in our collective consciousness. And, you know, I mean, just look around you, people are becoming increasingly polarized and distressed um and it seems that the world has gone insane um and it's in, it's increasingly difficult to make sense about who we are to ourselves for ourselves who we are as an i and equally how to make sense of the world around us so that's that's principally what my book addresses mm. you know, why is it that relationships are so problematic why is it that we are so traumatized uh, why is it that um, we have these narratives and programs that are running in our heads and how did they get there and yeah. how do we deal with them and deprogram ourselves and so on? Mm -hmm. So my goal essentially is to help men, men and women, but especially men, um, so that they can relate with other men and other women in functionally healthy ways. Um, and that, you know, that means telling the truth about how we behave in dysfunctional ways, you know, and um, sometimes these truths can be hard to hear. And there's a lot of stuff in the book, which many people will find controversial, but which I consider of profound significance and importance for understanding how the world works and how we work as individuals. But, mm. um, you know, it's specifically this book is concerned with what you might call sovereign individuals. You know, those people who, my friend calls it feral. Um, he has a, <laughs> so so fer, when you think of feral, you might think of like an angry cat who's out prowling in the alley, but that's not exactly what feral means. Feral is actually the recognition of being formally caged, K 
once caged, but now free. Now you are free. You are feral. Yeah. Uh, so how do we how do we throw off our shackles, both our mental shackles and societal shackles, and become free? Um, and and that principally is what the book addresses. Yeah, thank you. So um, just before we get into the main thrust of our discussion today, can you just share with um, the listeners how they can find out more about the book, uh, your website? Sure, I've just uh, released the audiobook version. So that, yeah. that is up on um, uh, uh, Amazon and Audible. Yeah. Uh, the book is available through Amazon. And uh, if you want to find out more about me, they can go to my website, which is michaelronin.net. Okay, thank you for that. And I just think I'm sure a lot of our listeners would agree um, with what you've been talking about in terms of the increasing polarity within society and the fact that people are getting more and more triggered, um, say, with, within um, things like relationships. And um, it's, it's, that, has, that, was, that was quite bad before COVID. But yeah. since the COVID event, it's just amplified. And we're all hearing stories about um family rate relationships where people no longer speak to maybe a parent or a sibling or marriages relationships that have actually ended because people have uh have different thoughts um about the you know <laughs> the jab so to speak um yeah. so it really is it's it's forcing all of us to come to our own truths isn't it uh, which is what the thrust of what you were saying really yes it's very sad i mean it's it i've had my life as well has been impacted by you know, what were close friends who are now um, essentially um, antagonistic towards anyone with a contrary point of view to the the extent that you cannot even reason with them. No. Um, And there is this sense of othering um, and scorn, which is heaped upon those who are either pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, but certainly Mm. myself being um, someone who would never take we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even call it a vaccine it's a it's a it's a shot um yeah. and uh, a lot of people call it a, a clot shot yeah which i which is a kind of a, a fair description of it yeah uh, so but equally you know it not there's no the, the battle has not been lost i mean even this morning i was reading an article put out by charles eisenstein um that your listeners could look up and you know he was talking about his thanksgiving get together with his friends and family mm. and many, many of them have uh are, are on both sides of of the coin in terms of how to regard our situation and they got along pretty well they got along pretty well so it's not doom and gloom um, no no and of course um, listeners can check out his his amazing work in terms of um the gift economy uh, which yeah. has um and we might come in to talk about yeah. that in today's discussion but um, Michael, we've got the interesting uh, title, which sounds quite simple, really, but very powerful. The idea of the power of no and the power of yes. Um, so we're going to get into that discussion now. So I wonder if you could tell us, um, you know, how can we begin? What, what, to, what does it mean to say no? Let's start with that point. Yeah, well, um, I guess just quickly to say that the, the power of yes, yes. is where we have crossed the bridge essentially to a new way of being and there's now no turning back and you know we're treating our world as if it's already the more beautiful future that our that our our hearts desire um and you know it's it's where we've begun acting in alignment with what we want 
rather than what we're in resistance to. Um, so the, the power of no is, um, you know, it, 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 the power of yes is very, very powerful. Mm. Uh, and the power of the no, the power of no sounds very negative to a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, uh, when we want to be in a high vibe state and, and, the, and the, the, the vibe of no essentially seems to be a low vibe state. Um, but I would say that, you know, before we, before we actually get to the power of yes, or maybe as we get to the power of yes, there's enormous value in the power of no. Mm. Um, and I would say that, in fact, it's, it's a, a prerequisite, if you like, for the power of yes. Um, you see, we, let me put it this way. We, we don't have a problem, hopefully, about setting healthy boundaries with other people when it comes to our individual integrity or well-being. Um, you know, it, we, we, we're okay with saying, no, you know, please don't do that. That upsets me or that hurts me in some way. That, that's a boundary. Yeah. Um, so that, that's no, but we, we do have a problem with authority stepping over the boundaries of our individual liberties mm. without, you know, firmly but lovingly enforcing those boundaries like we do with other people. Mm. Um, because we've given so much of our power away um, to the extent, I would say, that it, it, it's kind of like an abusive relationship that we have with our leaders and our governments mm. and our workplaces. You know, go to work. It Basically, when you from nine to five, you're, you're, you're no longer in a democracy. You're in a dictatorship. Mm. We've handed over the power of our agency to people. Um, we call leaders, either leaders in government or leaders in industry or, you know, Anthony Fauci or leaders in the workplace. It, it's an abusive relationship that we have with them. And it's yeah. a kind it's a kind of a, a Stockholm sy syndrome. Yeah. Which is where we, which is basically where we identify with their needs more than we do with our with our own. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And of course, uh, many people, including myself, have spoken um, in the last sort of, uh, well, since COVID uh, appeared, really, <clears throat> almost two years ago, about this idea of uh, the abusive relationship we have with, with government and authority figures, and even uh, here in the UK with um, the health authorities like the NHS. And there does appear to be this sort of idea of a mass conformity and um, uh, a mass hypnosis which is going on. Which and the curious thing is, um, yeah, as you say, it's in our own interpersonal relationships, uh, we seem to find it easier to actually put down proper boundaries. But when it comes to government and the state, yeah. we're we're more uh, easily coerced, and um, it's it's another interesting aspect of uh, the COVID event, as I call it, in that it's bringing to the surface all of our kind of um, psychological psychological triggers all our wounding yeah. uh, all our trauma so in some sense you know it's all too easy to see the COVID event in negative terms but if you think of it in terms of like Jungian psychology and right. bring into the surface the idea of the shadow it's an amazing event because it's 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 revealing our true selves absolutely that's a very good insight um you know um, you, you've been talking about this quite a lot, and, and uh, it's certainly my observation as well, is that what we're seeing is mass formation yeah. or mass, mass hypnosis 
or mass psychosis. There, there yeah. seem to be a lot of, a lot of yeah. phrases. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, it was there even before 2021. We, we've yeah. been. We, I mean, it, it's just, we, we've been in mass hypnosis for generations, but we're only just realizing it now. The extent of it, yeah. The extent of it. And, and it's coming to a crux. And yes, there has been a tipping point. Mm. Um, you know, before we could speak to friends and family and, you know, they might moan and groan about how they couldn't change our minds or uh, how we were intransigent or how they didn't feel heard. And, you know, there's obviously subtleties and nuance on on all sides of it but what we've seen recently is how this situation has magnified our mm. social isolation mm. um you know we have and the mechanism by which it's happened is through uh doom doom mm. fear, doom porn is yeah. what they call it. fear of imminent death mm. and what that does is that just puts people in a permanent state of limbic reactivity mm. so you know, formally, even before 2020, people were experiencing their lives as meaningless. Yeah. You know, they, they do their nine to five jobs and, you know, they, they don't really like their jobs. I mean, most of us know what it's like working in a soul destroying job nine to five, which mm. has little relevancy in people's lives. Mm. And when we're pushed around by these more powerful forces. Um, we don't get to do what we want to do with our lives. No. So this is this is the basis on which this mass formation has been built. It's been built on people who experience their lives as meaningless. Mm. Um, now, and in the book, sorry, sorry um, in, in the book is one of the things it's led me to consider has been the history of suffering. You know, yeah. how long has, how long has this been going on? And my contention is, is that it's been going on since the dawn of civilization, essentially like the last 12,000 years or so. Um, and that our, the, the human nervous system um, has been a central aspect in, in respect to the development of civilization. You know, civilization has produced maladjusted individuals and mm. maladjusted individuals have shaped civilization. So you have this vicious cycle vicious circle yeah and uh you know we've been for, for the last few thousand years we've been thrusting ourselves forwards into these large-scale states of um limbic reactivity like fight flight freeze normalcy and what we're seeing is now i mean this is the the the, cru the culmination of it now is a population which through history has been chronically traumatized and now is acutely traumatized yeah so that, that's why i think it's necessary to see the world through a spectrum of trauma if we are to enter an age of healing hopefully and that's if again if you look at uh, the covid event from a more sort of zoomed out spiritual uh, dimension yeah. if you will it's it's yeah. mirroring back to us it's mirroring back to us those aspects of ourselves that that we need to work on and as other people have said it is uh, effectively a collective dark night of the soul and yeah. in terms what i find interesting around the idea of a collective night of the soul a lot of people who have a real deep concept of what's going on some some uh, uh, who may be called 
like myself, a conspiracy theorist or a truther or, or whatever, a seeker of freedom and light, we've already been through those individual dark nights of the soul. So when we, you know, found out um, information with regards to why wars really happened, the truth about 9-11 or the, the Kennedy assassination, we've already yeah. had that shock and horror of, oh, my God, the world is nothing like I thought it was. And then for those of us who've then gone through that and realized, actually, this is about the darkness in me, that to some degree I'm projecting onto the external world. Um, we were kind of primed for March 2020 in a way. And yes. that's why we were we weren't corralled into the mass hypnosis or the or or the mass conformity, because to varying degrees, we'd kind of like done our homework. <laughs> If, yeah, if we, we, were we were vaccinated. Yeah, we? yeah, we'd, we'd, already, we'd already done it. And just one last point I wanted to make was, I do agree that we're now, I call it um, crossing the Rubicon. We're literally at that point when we can't live in denial anymore. I believe it was a book written by Michael Rupert quite a few years ago, who was, he yeah. was big in the whole pushing the peak oil um, yes. idea and the establishment of an Amera. I believe he's actually passed away now, unfortunately, but yeah. he, he used this idea of crossing the Rubicon. And I think it is we've now, we can no longer live in denial. We can no longer look to our political leaders. The left in, in, in here in the UK, for example, the Labour Party have actually, since the beginning, wanted uh, more intense and further lockdowns. Uh, they're even calling for that now. So any idea of a leftist revolution is completely moribund and dead. Any idea of any political solution has completely evapora evaporated. So it really is down to us. And this leads us back, of course, to the power of no and the power of yes. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty tragic what's going on. And it's it's um, I guess that I mean, so what I write about is is something called the war on consciousness. Yeah. And um, I guess so far, we, you and I and and your listeners are doing pretty well in that war because yeah. we have not, we've not been conned. Yeah. Um, but you know there are countervailing forces in the world which want to control the real estate between your ears. Yeah. And, and they don't want you to become conscious. They don't want you to see things with more clarity. They don't want you to see reality as it really is. Mm -hmm. And then you know, actually, potentially um stand up to them do something that's not in their best interest but in your best interests yeah sure. um that's, that's been their, their greatest victory to date has been the molding of each individual's perceptual frame of reference mm. um and they've done it through <clears throat> various societal mechanisms you know like i mean there's the mass media of course that's been the predominant way that they've transferred narratives and programs into the heads of ordinary people um, Carl Jung used the term mass man. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in the truth community, I think rather disparagingly un and unfairly, use the term sheeple, um, which has a certain amount of scorn for, mm. for your, your fellow human. So I try not to use that world, word. But it's essentially those people who have not yet come to a realization of who they are as a sovereign individual and how the world is shaped to, sh to shape their perceptual frame of reference and, and they're, they're given essentially a blueprint of the world which they believe comes from their own understanding mm. but is in fact implanted in them mm, for sure and, and i think thank you for that i think how that is maintained is uh, is quite often 
through a lot of kind of um, false fake dichotomies, one of which we've seen obviously recently with the COP26, which is if so, if you um, point out the fallacy of the green revolution that must mean you support exxon mobile and you know you, you <laughs> and all the polluting corporations well no it's not quite that simple but in lots of areas of life that's how they kind of they kind of trap us in a way uh, and right. people actually are a lot of the choices they make they're just reading from a menu that's already been given to them but what they don't realize is you you can put you, you don't have to choose from the menu that the system that the system gives to people and um on the point that you were making in terms of how um in some sense what i've noticed since the covid event is a lot of people they don't realize that they can say no because when i've said to the, you know like um as you probably know if you listen to my 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 work on discerning consciousness i don't advocate you wake people up but sometimes you might have confront well hopefully not state confrontations but you'll talk to people about masks and shops and people in the first um, lockdown and such like when it was first imposed they didn't realize that they had a choice to say no they didn't really and you know a, a lot of it comes down to the fact people don't have the confidence or the framework to say no so um, I think sometimes a lot of truthers and people in alternative media are a bit unfair to what they would see as the sheeple or the masses uh, it's just that they don't have a they don't have a framework of how to say no. As I said on one of my recordings, when COVID kicked off, we all knew our researchers to go to, to look at alternative narratives, whereas a lot of the general public, they don't have that. So it's not that they're stupid as such as they don't have, um, yeah, as I say, a framework to look at things in a different way. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, it's a tricky one, Ant, because I, I, I'm not, quite where you are I, I think it is there is value in speaking your truth to your mm. fellow man uh, regardless of outcome yeah and whether they can hear you or not um, and again Charles Eisenstein wrote a very good uh, essay called the rehearsal is over mm. uh, which I'd encourage people to read it was absolutely fantastic essay thank you just making um, a note of that for myself yeah. <laughs> thank you um, but you know, it, hard times are upon us they yeah. are upon us, whether we want them or not. Mm. And what, what do we do? What do we do now? You know, mm. we're, we're being driven to make a choice about what we're going to do. Mm. And either we continue to be aware and awake as to what's going on around us and do nothing and hope that mass awakening occurs. But even if it does, um, even if all of us realize that we have malevolent forces which are availed against us and we simply observe them and do nothing then what's going to stop them mm. now in, in the book I, I it's essentially for people who have a masculine essence which yeah. is mostly mostly men most men mostly have a masculine essence and i would say that my, my advice is essentially that we, we we as men need to use our masculine essence to penetrate the world and to be strategic and use our particular uh, we're different from women we have we have different operating systems from women we have ex, uh, although there is a great overlap we have these systematizing brains which can be strategic um, and so it 
it recognizes our true nature in how we interact with the world, not to be passive spectators, but active participants in the way we organize it. Mm. And actually to take action, mm. to be men of action and to do good, not alone, not but collectively with our fellow brothers. Um, and then as um, free thinking and freeling, free feeling men, we can choose how to shape our world. We can choose how to shape the contents of our mind. And um, through our loving intervention, if you like, we can determine how the world is shaped to govern our lives for, for men and women in ways which um, meet the requirements of our true unfolding as unique sovereign individuals. Um, to realize all of our powers and potentialities because you know what we're facing right now are end times um we should probably get back to talking about what the obstacles are ahead of us but these end times essentially they are end times mm. we are being targeted for destruction or alteration mm. in some sense um and if we don't take action as men in order to stop the degradations and the dehumanizations and the genocide that we face globally, to be quite honest, um, then we simply, you know, we, we will be, we, it won't be a case of, of non-compliance. We will be complying with the sort of world that those rulers want to create for us if we do nothing, if we simply observe them. Because, yeah. um, anyway... I've spoken for too long. You said no, no, no. I just, yeah, I think we need to bring our discussion. Yeah, and you, you alluded to that is um, with the recent announcement, uh, first of all, in Austria, uh, and then Greece followed, at least for the over 60s, in terms of the introduction of mandatory, aka compulsory, let's call them fake vaccines or shots, uh, yep. or clot shots, if you prefer. For me, I'm sorry if this sounds like hyperbole, but that is a declaration of war. That is it. Yeah. And I, I, I say that not because I want to create a diversion within the consciousness, but that for me speaks of all the material for the last 15 years I've been looking at where they want to they want to remove the, you know, the free thinking human from society. Yeah. It doesn't take much of a leap of thought to think that. And that's what you're saying. So yeah. um, how would you oh, that's quite a difficult question to uh, to answer, but as conscious men and conscious women, what action can we take? I mean, where, how does it begin? <laughs> <laughs> the $50,000 question. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been thinking this over in the last week. And, and um, I guess the first thing to say is that you, you mentioned the word war. Mm. And for a war to exist, there has to be two sides fighting each other. Yeah. And I don't see, I don't really see us fighting for our lives right now. No. So I think perhaps a better term to use would be uh, we are being laid siege to. Yeah. And you, you remember perhaps from medieval history in their castle, you would get the army outside a castle and um, the army inside the castle and one would lay siege to the other. The, the army outside would lay siege to those in the castle, in the castle walls. Sure. And they would stay there for months. And what they would do is essentially um, poison their water, they would stop food being delivered into the castle walls. Um, and there was no battle as such. They were simply being starved into oblivion. Um, so I, I would basically 
the metaphor I would use is a siege. They're, they're laying siege to humanity by uh, poisoning our water, which is the blood in our in our bodies, and poisoning our food supply as well, because there are certainly reports coming in now that graphene um, dioxide or oxide is being um, placed into the food supply. And, and these, again, we have to keep a skeptical mind about this because uh, making sense in these times is increasingly difficult. Mm. But um, we're also being laid siege to in, in how we are able to access resources. So in some countries, you cannot buy gasoline or petrol at the at the petrol pump because you need a QR code to prove that you are vaccinated. I so believe that's Slovenia. Sorry to inter uh, right. in interrupt. Yeah, in Slovenia. Yeah. Um, and uh, pretty soon, and I think, and and certainly in Austria, you you can't go into a store and buy goods and services without producing a QR code as well. Hence the pushback. Um, they're also going to be introducing uh, these. Uh, uh, cooler cabinets in supermarkets which can only be accessed through a digital id and, right. and these these are basically bullet bulletproof cabinets which can't be jimmied open mm -hmm. um, and the only way you'll be able to access food is through um, producing a scan in order to act, get into these cabinets so we are being laid siege to or we mm -hmm. will be being laid siege to if we don't do anything so sorry for the long preamble. No, not at all. Carry on. The, the question was, what do we do about that? Yeah. Um, and uh, this is where the power of no uh, has to come in, come into play here. So uh, uh, as I was saying, we're, we're, we're in a kind of a Stockholm syndrome where yeah. we identify with our rulers needs more than we do our own. And so what we're seeing now um, well, let me give this example. It, we see people on the streets protesting and videoing the police who are, who are committing brutalities and atrocities. Yeah. And what, what they're doing is they're expecting that this increased awareness of what's going on around us to result in some change. You know, if the video goes viral, then everybody will know how bad things are and then something will happen. Mm. Now, the problem with that is that if that's all we do, then at the end of the day, we're, we're, all we're going to be doing is sitting in our internment camps with a large library of these videos to watch, wondering why our, our increased collective consciousness made no difference to outcome. Mm. You know, everybody's aware of it, but nobody did anything about it. So, but the thing, I mean, it's not, it does a certain amount of good to, videoing these degradations and dehumanizations that were being put through on a daily basis does a lot of good because it actually informs the ignorant who are then less likely to buy into the mainstream narratives and so we increase awareness so that's good yeah um so i've got to be careful with my words here and so i'm gonna start by saying this i'm a big movie fan sure and i would like to see a movie where people took on the possibility of opening them. Um, let, let's say you have a movie where people are out there on the streets, there's mass protests on the streets, and they decide that they want to open themselves up to mass arrests through violent, not nonviolent collective action. So like, like in the movie Gandhi, I love the movie Gandhi. Yeah. Um, now, the problem with Gandhi's nonviolent movement is that it ultimately failed because the British ruling class was replaced by an Indian 
ruling class. It was a people's movement which failed the people. But I really like the principle of nonviolent collective action and um, uh, and uh, mass uh, non-compliance. Disobedience, so, yeah. Disobedience, yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the restraints of laws and checks and balances against government, against government overreach that we have placed our faith in have been shown to be inadequate in controlling those who are in power, sure. those who love power. And people's movements for, libera for liberation have always failed because they allowed the old guard or the mm. new guard to return. Mm. You know, we get, they, they gained concessions and then systematically over time, the ruling class clawed back those concessions it's like the king is dead long live the king just change the robes kind of thing it's like that old yeah. uh, that, who, that old uh who song um same as the uh just same as uh new boss same as the old boss type of thing yeah for sure <laughs> but uh, you know non-violent collective action against like like for instance uh, south africa's system of apartheid that, yeah. that was pretty effective very if you, if you look at the bds movement against um um, Israel's treatment of the Pal Palestinians. That was pretty effective. If you look at the Montgomery bus boycott back in the 50s, that was pretty effective. Mm. But the thing is, they were just single action issues, but they, they left the power structure intact. So the question is now is how can we extend the scope of mass non-compliance to not just for single action, single issue actions, but actually to challenge the power structure itself. So how about, how about this? Can I pitch a couple of movie ideas at you? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, um, all right. So I, I, I find zombie apocalypse movies fascinating. Okay. Yeah, sure. so, you know, like Resident Evil, um, you've got The Walking Dead and all the other ones. John Carpenter. Um, yeah. I can imagine a new movie where the number of living people vastly outnumbers the zombies. Yeah. But consider that where where conscious men and women outnumbered them significantly. Okay. Mm. So what would we do with the zombies in our midst? You know, in traditional zombie movies, the fear was that you have these hordes of zombies overwhelming humanity and by their sheer numbers, uh, you know, humanity is largely defenseless and they have to like <laughs> you know, blow their heads off and whatever. But what if there was a zombie apocalypse in reverse? There are a bunch of zombies out there, but yeah. they're relatively few in number. And the living vastly outnumber those zombies, curiously, even though it doesn't feel that way because, you know, the zombies are kicking up a stink. So yeah. what do they do? If they, if they don't want to kill the zombies, because let's say that in this movie, in this new movie, killing zombies produced a negative energy that fed the zombie queen yeah. who then birthed more and more zombies so you can't kill them because that just makes a, a, a more destructive pathological world mm. in so if there are relatively few of them all you need to do then is restrain them to win yeah so how about how about this another movie how about this movie imagine a movie where there was um let's say the movie opens on a scene where there is a mass street protest. Yeah. Now, normally what happens in street protests is that the police corral and kettle and chase and they beat up protesters. 
And yet the ratio of police to protesters is actually tiny, but their intimidation and the violence that they have scares people into compliance. Now, in this movie, imagine instead, instead of accepting, instead of accepting being chased and beaten up by police, that, that the characters in this movie had a role. And when they observed a police officer behaving violently, six people immobilized him. You know, three holding his left arm, three holding his right arm, his right arm. That's it. That's all there is. All they do is they hold him in place. No reciprocated violence, just immobilization. Mm. And they do this instead of whipping out their cell phone to record the event. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, they take action to prevent an injustice. And, you know, he's there with them. There are six of them. There's one of him. And the message is, um, you know, I'm sorry, you can't do that anymore. Mm. You're not allowed to harm anyone anymore. And we are here to stop you. And the underlying intention is, you know, not to harm him, not to hurt him, not to humiliate him or shame him, just simply prevent him moving. Mm. And they do it with as much humanity as they can muster. He's a person. He's a human being. He's not the enemy. But the thing is, he wants to hurt them. So they have to stop him. And in this movie, that's the character's job. And you mm. do that. You keep doing that until you win. Mm. If you're restraining someone, that's now your job. You and you and five other people. And however long it takes, however long it takes, you restrain that individual. Of course, it depends on the situation in the movie. Mm. But we, we could be talking a few minutes to a few days. And, uh, you know, what you do is you bring them food and water. You make them physically comfortable. And you talk to them as a human being. You don't lecture them about their um, bad ways. You treat them like a brother. And you don't let them move. And the simple message is, you are not free to harm others. And I am not free to harm you. But I will restrain you from harming others. And if in this movie, if the police or the military or the National Guard, whoever they are, you know, what if they're in vehicles and you can't grab a hold of them? You know, uh, you can't, the characters in the movie cannot hold on to somebody by their arms. I can imagine a scene in this movie where the crowd had on hand, not, not Molotov cocktails, but bags or containers of a mixture of black paint and oil mixed together, which they then are capable, which they, they you know, which having been thrown at these vehicles, completely obscures the vision of the windscreens or the windshields and which cannot be wiped off or cleaned up it just mm. smears it smears itself everywhere you know similarly if a crowd in this movie was facing a line of police with clear riot shields say um, they could then throw this paint mixture at those riot riot shields so that the cops holding those shields their visible their visibility is reduced almost to nothing now, all of this is fictional. I would never advocate for anyone to do this in real life. Um, okay, like we were talking about before, in this movie, what happens? So if a police enter that store or the gas station and they demand to see your character's QR code or vaccination status before being allowed to purchase goods, you know, everyone in that store gently pushes those cops out of the front door. 
if they don't go out of the front door, if they put up a fight, everybody in that store grabs a hold of their arms and six people hold, three people hold one arm, three people hold the other arm. Mm. And they stop them being violent. Now, you know, and I, I'm not a very good screenwriter, <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure there are people in, in your listening audience yeah. who, who could develop the script further Sure, of course. I hope you've copyright copyrighted these two movies, Michael. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. No, that that's it. I I just wanted to pitch this movie at your listeners. Yeah, no, it's really uh, that is really interesting because um, it's just a couple of points I want to make with regards to what you were saying is that I'm not sure, and sometimes I think I'm a little bit naive because I try to be discerning, <laughs> maybe sometimes too much because if you think we're in a kind of uh, um, we're under siege and I agree and I think um, what a lot of people don't realize the forces that we're up against I think they will go to the extent of turning off the power if yeah. if they feel that they're threatened um, and I'm talking about obviously like the hyperdimensional forces that work through the human sort of political puppets that we see they they will turn off the lights I mean these people who've engineered wars that have killed millions they wouldn't think, you know, they, they wouldn't right. bat an eye. And, and I know, um, so, because um, I did an episode recently talking about on my podcast, audio podcast, you know, not getting lost in um, doom, porn, conspiracy narratives. But by the same token, we have to be realistic. Um, we have to be realistic of the extent of uh, the fire that might be thrown on, on thrown at us. And the point I want to make is, I think in, there will come a point where the general public um, not necessarily on mass. Go, it's it's going to begin to dawn on them the situation that they're in, right. Right? right? The brevity of the situation, and that means in relationship. Coming to my point, <laughs> in relationship to your movie idea, I think they will realise that um, oh, I need to act, and you know this idea of holding down the police or the authorities, not inflicting harm on them, so we can go about our business, we can purchase goods because something I've seen. Uh, you bring up the good point about QR code here in the UK. So I know you're in the States, but here in the UK, a lot of supermarkets now, they're using the smartphone, the QR code just to um, purchase um, food. But it's not like a payment system at the moment, but you can see how that could morph into a payment system. So they're already setting the groundwork. Um, so, again, it's it's realizing that people say, well, surely they wouldn't stop people buying food. They would. Uh, yeah, it, it might it might get that desperate and just lastly on this point again because here in the UK they haven't they haven't introduced sorry in England they still haven't introduced the fake Covid vax passport so we still enjoy relative freedom and I think a lot of people realize across Europe including my ancestral home in Italy they've just be, beefed up the so-called green uh, vaccine passport yeah. And yeah, yeah. basically, unless you have that, you can't access normal services. So already this tyranny is in place. It's yes. already in place. We've kind of like we have crossed the Rubicon. That's what I meant by that phrase. Uh, and um, so your your movie ideas are, are very relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's um, that is definitely um, uh, one uh, thing that I could see definitely coming coming into into view, um, because the other thing perhaps we might talk about briefly now, uh, Michael, is that I believe that there is, and you've spoken about this in your book briefly, the idea that 
at some point the financial system is going to collapse now you know if i was an uh, an, an evil person maybe part of the world economic forum or, or the tavistock or any of these you know organizations now would be about the right time or 2022 or 2023 wouldn't it to place people in so they lose everything their savings pension uh, funds um, and again you know we have to be realistic that might happen i'm not saying it will um but we do have to be realistic about the lengths that they they'll go to but again that will because we've always known it's about destroying uh the uh power of the middle class that's always been yeah. the long-term agenda and that would again that might force a lot of people um to question their reality and their naive trust in government so yeah. i still think there are many scenarios to play out aren't there yeah of course money is the mechanism by which is the only mechanism by which we are able to access the resources we need to survive on a day-to-day basis yeah it's it's an existential necessity yeah uh which is why it's useful as as a mechanism by which to control human beings um and we do not control money they do yeah so um money limits access to resources based on ability to pay um you know the richest one percent they they own twice as much wealth as i think it's seven the seven billion people it's all of us they they own twice yeah. as much wealth as all of us combined mm. and they ha- they've put in place a money system which um destroys people's lives once every six to seven years through what we call recessions economic um, cycles they call them yeah economic yeah. cycles the business yeah. cycle yeah. yeah as if these are like they, it sounds so normal and natural just as if they're organic and natural things <laughs> yes you know and uh, dollar devaluations in this country you know the the federal reserve in this country um yeah. has been steadily devaluing the dollar since its uh, conception over 100 years ago um and people need to go into debt just to stay alive in order to access those resources and when you're in debt then you can be easily controlled by the people holding that debt so um i make the contention in the book that we need to replace the money system with some other form of economy yeah and um there there are various forms of economy that people have been looking into obviously the one you and i have been talking about has been charles eisenstein's gift economy but there are others out there there's what's called the resource-based economy um uh which i think the zeitgeist movement and the venus project movement have been talking about um there's the free money society um there, there are various things in there people can look these up um but uh, <clears> that the money system itself is, is not the collective invention of humanity it was actually put in place in the sumerian sumerian era right. by the sumerian priest kings as a mechanism of control to yeah. control humans um because if you can limit their access to resources then you can control them yeah for sure yeah and as we know essentially the western world was bankrupt i think it was 1970 or 1971 when uh, america left the gold standard um and then they created the petrodollar essentially it was so they managed to kick the can down the road for 50 years right. um but at a certain point i think you've mentioned this before when we've spoken together <laughs> they're running out of road <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean you this know. is it as you say they've crossed the rubicon and basically 
you know, they have no choice now but to keep going and not stop. Mm. And that's why we're in a metastis, metastis, mm, I can't say the word, <laughs> metasystemic crisis. Yeah. And what a metasystemic crisis is, it's, it's essentially a perfect storm. You yeah. know, every, yeah. everything around us is compounding and multiplying, uh, multiplying its effects with, you know, incalculable effects and consequences. Mm. So yes, we have COVID, but we don't just have COVID. We have peak oil, we have microplastics, we have chemtrails, we have AI, we have nuclear weapons, we have smart dust, we have climate change. Um, we have a global shortage of nitrogen fertilizer, which equals famine ahead of us. Yeah, we have the metaverse, the impending metaverse. Yeah, the metaverse. Yeah. Um, you know, we have increasing rates of extinction for both species, plant species and animal species. Yeah. You know, the, you probably heard about the insect apocalypse yeah. and the, the uh, bee colony collapse disorder, which is based on the neocotinoids that we use in, in um, uh, our chemicals to spray uh, as, herb uh, as herbivores, uh, yeah. herbicides rather. So, yeah. you know, it's a metasystemic crisis and, um, and this, makes our, this makes what we're facing a predicament. And a predicament is different from a problem. A predicament is where there is no actual positive outcome. You just have to manage a bad outcome. Mm. Um, so, you know, the first thing, the first and, and main question before us is how do we take back our sovereignty? Sure. And the preeminent, the predominant, thing that is stopping us doing that is a ruling class and all the concessions that have been granted to us through social democracies have come because the working class have stood up to the ruling class and been granted concessions but then those concessions have gradually been stripped away from us over time because we've left in place that ruling class we haven't removed it um so are we going to learn that lesson yeah Exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, if you think about it, it goes right back to the Luddite movement. And uh, after the First World War, you know, the reason why they drip fed uh, Allied troops or British troops back to the UK was because um, if they'd all returned, there would have been a revolution. So that right. this this question of con the consent to be governed and um, this ongoing the relationship between the people uh, and the government, and before that, obviously, uh, monarchs, it ha has been an ongoing, uh, ongoing issue. And obviously, we're now at saying that, that point, idea of crossing the Rubicon, we're, we're now at that point where it's right in our faces, and they literally, the ruling class, or the 1%, or whatever you want to call them, they want to take control of everything now, like everything. And that includes, as I said before, you know, destroying the lives of uh, many hundreds of millions of people, even in the Western, even in the Western world. So, you know, the illusion of democracy, they don't care now that the illusion is, is it's literally the mask is off, uh, that the mask has been pulled off uh, exactly. and um, they, they almost don't care. And I think that feeds back into these recent announcements about mandatory jabs. They're literally, they, yeah, the mask is coming off. There's no more, uh, there's no more pussyfooting around trying to give the impression that we still live in these sort of Western civilized democracies because we don't. Um, although, of course, uh, still a lot of people think they do. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make the point there about how it's always been a um, question of um, 
taking our sovereignty back, uh, if yeah. you like. And that's what this whole COVID event um, has brought sharply in, into focus, of course, Corona being the crown. Uh, and it's about us um, crowning ourselves as individual, as individuals. And, to, and it's going to be it's going to be a difficult process because there is so much um illusion there's so much delusion i should say within society and i know i don't mean that in a horrible way no. um but yeah we we're gonna really <laughs> what's the word we're gonna we're gonna have to go through the mix i'm afraid uh and i don't know what that looks like and you alluded to uh, earlier you know here in the uk a lot of our food probably about 40 percent 30 to 40 percent comes from comes from abroad we're on an island we're very very vulnerable to famine right you know people have concreted over their drives we don't have public you know gardens anywhere that grow food um you know we're very vulnerable to famine in this country uh, i'm always i've always been very aware of that and and these may become real issues in the coming months and years right. uh, and we can't and we can't shy away from that and i was reading during this week that they're going after people, farmers and individuals who have poultry, like yeah. ducks and chickens, right. yeah. because of a, some sort of like fake bird flu epidemic. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're looking to cull all of these poultry. Yeah. And of course, that would mean less access to protein for people in the future. Yeah. And just at this point, uh, if you uh, the listeners aren't aware, there's a, a guy, I think he's a Canadian chap, he's got a brilliant channel on YouTube called The Ice Age Farmer. So all of this uh this these issues around supply line crisis and in farming he goes into in-depth detail um so yeah he's a really really good uh, really good source of information so michael we're coming up um sort of around about uh to the hour now mm. um so perhaps we could look at um to end on a more positive note shall we say <laughs> this yeah. idea of sovereignty and and the power of yes perhaps yeah, um, I mean, the task of the conscious man is to prepare his mind. Yeah. Um, that's what I write about. I prepare his mind to receive and formulate good ideas. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're actually, we're very interesting as a species because ideas can be good or bad. And ideas also breed ideology, of course. So the problem we have and the potential we have um, to be an organism which generates ideas um, is it's, it's actually central to the human predicament yeah um, you know we've gone far beyond our chimpanzee relatives who you know their best idea was to poke a stick into a termite mound and pull out a bunch of termites to eat that that was their big idea they haven't really progressed look at the ideas we've come up with you know mm -hmm. ideas are all around us and we've implemented them some of them have been positive some of them some of those ideas are true many and probably most are not and i think in terms of the yes the power of yes we we need to evolve to become more conscious individuals and that that means recognizing <clears throat> that our egos and our identities are attached to these ideas yes. we identify them we ideas they're part they're part of identity they're, they're like our clothing um you know, there are those who, those people who are patriotic, for instance, they drape themselves with the flag of their nation. Yeah. And, you know, it's the ideas and the values that that nation professes. 
they drape themselves in those ideas. Um, you know, those who want to um, display their status, they adorn themselves with um, Gucci or Prada, you know. So you, you could say that it's human nature um, that, how should I put this, um, when, when, a, when a number of people agree upon an idea, they coagulate into these groups, big and small, which then, and, and then they find themselves in this echo chamber of these ideas in their own singular rightness. They yeah. find themselves as part of a brotherhood, or they find themselves in this tribe with this tribal identity. And as a species, we seem to be particularly susceptible um, to illusion and delusion. You know, yeah. it's allowing these bad ideas to be incorporated into our identity. And these, you know, other animals don't have this problem. Human beings, we take in bad ideas and these ideas can trip us up. Mm. And these people, all of us, I don't say these people, but people who have bad ideas, what, what they don't have an internal process by which they can recognize those bad ideas. And, you know, like members of your nearest and dearest talking about COVID, they're reluctant to have their positions challenged. So yeah. these, these false narratives, they um, inhabit their cognitive architecture and these false, these false narratives determine their actions. And they believe, they believe they are seeing things relatively clearly. They believe they are operating from a place of principle. They believe they are doing good in the world. You know, even those that we might consider dis despicable, you know, they can rationalize their thoughts and actions and give themselves a singular sense of their rightness. Um, they, the, the ideas comport with reality for them. <clears throat> I remember you, you probably heard of um, the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute. Yeah. I, think, I think it was P.T. Barnum who said that. So take that idea, the idea that there is a sucker born every minute. Okay. Um, that idea then makes it okay to exploit their ignorance because, you know, um, their ignorance is either one of, one of two things. It's either God-given or it's yeah. self-chosen or whatever. So therefore, those suckers deserve to be exploited. Now, th that's an idea that has uh, real-world implications. So they, these people, let's say our rulers, they believe their ideas comport with a natural order. And they have it in their heads that it does so. Um, okay, more ideas. What about the, the, those on the left? They, they see communism as an idea which reflects um, a more just way of social organization. Those on the right, they see maybe they, maybe they see capitalism as the best form of economy to you know distribute stuff. To, uh, around to, to people you know those people who work harder and smarter should be rewarded more than others and you know it, we don't have enough time now to get into the sins of either of those things but the point I want, I'm sorry for rambling on but no, not at all. the point I want to make is that um, as a species knowing that we have bad ideas knowing this how do we course correct so we know that we have ideas. Ideas can be good or they can be bad. And we know that we need ideas 
in order to progress, but we don't know how to manage those ideas. You know, first of all, we don't know, we don't know how to manage them within our own organism to root out false narratives, false assumptions, faulty beliefs. And, you know, that's the task of the conscious man. That's what I wrote about. But it doesn't stop there. Um, so we have to, uh, we have to uncover and we have to uncover and confront ideas, not just within ourselves, but in the superstructure, in the world around us. You know, the ideas that mass man has unawarely accepted into his organism, the ideas which um, through their mass adoption are harmful to society. What about those ideas? We, we have to recognize as a species that these bad ideas pollute the air around us um, and we have to find a mechanism by which we can manage um, the this storm of ideas swirling around us buffeting us pushing us off course because we have to do it before we self-destruct as a species we have to discover a profoundly more competent way in which we can curate all of those ideas and make sense of the good, make sense of the bad, make sense of the ugly, you know, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. But, you know, the ugly could be potentially beautiful. We have to, I would say, we have to go beyond agreeing to disagree with each other, which I wrote about in my penultimate chapter. Sure. Um, so, you know, finding a way of making sense of this world collectively what do we do making sense in a way which is non-divisive because you know what, what do we have right now we have even in the best of times we compete with each other to, to win with our ideas we duke it we would like with we duke it out in the public arena with winners and losers mm-hmm. yeah you know that's that's great entertainment that's highly theatrical but all it does is it pits us against each other. So I guess my question really is, is, and I don't have an answer, but how can we develop sophisticated ways of resolving conflicting needs? And I would say, I mean, that, that's the challenge before us. Definitely, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's um, very, very powerful words with which to, um, to end uh, end our discussion today so um i wonder michael if you could just um share again um in case anyone missed it earlier how people uh, can find out more about your book that would be great thanks Anne. um yep it's called modern masculinity for the conscious man and um it's available in paperback paperback ebook and audiobook and it's up on amazon and audible and um if anyone would like to contact me, they can do so through my website, which is michaelronin.net. Excellent. Thank you. So um, do you have any any closing thoughts, Michael? Because um, as we began uh, this particular discussion, we know that we are, you know, like like you were saying, we're, we're in no doubt of uh, the position that mankind finds itself in now. And I don't say that. So we uh, from a uh, from a kind of like weakened position disempowered position but we we can't delude ourselves anymore that the the government really um 
are any nothing more than uh, criminals and terrorists if you like which we've known right. for, for for a long time so what would you um leave the audience with just just some simple thing you know around how because i know in recent weeks i've said to some of my friends who know what's going on i've get you know i think scared yeah just a bit it is a bit overwhelming isn't it because now with these uh mandates around making the jab compulsory it takes it to a whole new level and you can think oh my god are they are they going to go door to door how can we remain sort of centered and um you know in our masculine core if you will (laughs) in in the face of of such a situation Uh, yeah that is a good question um you know we as sovereign individuals we have a choice Mm. we have a choice Either we can make ourselves fit into this degraded world which we find ourselves in, um, or you know, it's a world which has little to no regard for the true nature of human beings, which has little to no regard for maximizing our potential as a species, all of our powers and potentialities. We, we can go along with that. We can choose to go along with that. Mm. The other choice we have is to reshape our world to reflect the true natures of men and women. And if that's your choice, then you can, you need to consider how to do that. Um, Do you want to, do you want to just raise your consciousness and raise the consciousness of others around you? In which case, as a sovereign individual, that's perfectly fine. Do you want to take action? In which case, um congratulations <laughs> because i think i think that's what we'll, essentially i'm saying that we need to come around come together around creating a world for um a better world a better world than we had before 2020 a world for fully functional mm. fully realized fully integrated individuals as a premise for coexistence mm. that is our bedrock you know, um, and recognizing that is recognizing that there is a more beautiful world that awaits us, a world that we have an opportunity now to bring in to existence because of these times that we are facing. Change, change happens in these types of stressful times, these pre-revolutionary times, essentially. And it's not a given what our future is. If you sit back and do nothing, it is a given, I would say. Mm. Um, So consider what you can do in your life, in your circumstances, and whatever it is, even if it's just tending your mother who is dying right now, if that's all you can do, if all you can do is give love to another human being, give love to another human being. If you are in a position of some authority, consider how you can subvert the system. Well, whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, align yourself with compassionate brotherhood, with an optimized future for compassionate human beings, and bring that into existence, hoping and trusting that others like you will be doing exactly the same thing. Mm. Thank you for that. That's a very beautiful words. Thank you. And then in, in so doing, then you 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 can um, you're sort of like a, an example to other people and then they see your uh, they see your actions uh, and then you know it, it, that's how we bring about change in the world 
Um, so um, thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Um, it's been a really fascinating and interesting uh, discussion. And it would be great if we could do it again sometime because there's, as I'm sure the audience are aware, <laughs> like us, well aware there's so much to talk about during these times. It's, yes. um, yeah, so thank you so much. And um, thank you all for listening, for taking the time uh, to listen. And uh, hopefully um, during the discussion, there's some things that you, you've been able to relate to yourselves. So um, thank you all again for tuning in to Discerning Consciousness podcast. I will be speaking to you all again very soon. Bye-bye for now. Mm -hmm.